Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Hey, what's up, Epiphany Church? Good to be gathered with you today, celebrating the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, let me rush to uh, shout out Safe Families. I am so grateful for our partnership with them, and I'm grateful for Nikisha, and I'm grateful for Sarah uh, helping us to, uh, to secure that partnership and making sure that we are uh, really serving our community and serving our neighborhood uh, in a real tangible way. I also want to say welcome to all of our first-time visitors. If this is the first time that you've piped into our live, the first time that you were chatting with us, first of all, let us know that your presence is here. So if you could just type in the chat room, this is my first time. Uh, we just want to love on you. We, we are grateful for you. There are many places you could have piped into today, uh, but to hang out with us, uh, honestly, it's a great honor and a, and a joy for us. A uh, little, little bit about our church. We believe that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. It's a complex city, but we believe that the Lord uh, gives us a small part to play in the redemption of Brooklyn, to see people meet Jesus, give their lives to Jesus, and be a part uh, of a local body. So uh, grateful for you hanging out with us, our first-time visitors. I'm excited about the word today. I don't know about you, uh, but you should grab your Bibles, your devices, or whatever you have in your homes and meet me in the book of Esther. Uh, this is our second week in the book of Esther, so run back to Esther. If you're having a hard time finding it with your physical copy, uh, go to the book of Psalms and go back two books, and you will find uh, this great, beautiful book, uh, 10 chapters of what I would say is one of the greatest stories in the Old Testament. You'll find the book of Esther. Uh, as you're turning there, I, I have been uh, simply grieved, is the word, and uh, almost sick to my stomach over the last couple of weeks with all of the events that have taken place and that are currently going on in our country and in our nation. And uh, as a result of that, our pastors got together, Pastor Timmy and I got together, and we decided that uh, we wanted to at least uh, come today at the top of the sermon and spend pulpit time really giving a statement and addressing some of the things that are going on. So if you'll allow me a few minutes as you turn to the book of Esther, allow me a few minutes uh, just to read this statement uh, that is really the position of our church with the things that are going on. Let me start with these names, and you, you'll probably know these names. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, Alton Sterling, Brianna Taylor, Philando Castile, Freddie Gray, Tamir Rice, Sean Bell, Laquan McDonald, Sandra Bland, Ahmaud Aubrey, and George Floyd. These are just some of the names of the people that were unjustly murdered by a system that has historically been skewed against black and brown citizens. Once again, our emotions have been captivated by the events of this week and last week. Watching George Floyd, an unarmed black man, being choked to death while handcuffed and pleading for his life brought back familiar emotions and caused me personally to feel unnerved, unsettled, and as I said, sick to my stomach. The unjust, disproportionate killings of black people require a definitive response from the church, a response that is both carried out by both speech and action. Unfortunately, the American church has been divided on racial issues. 
We find ourselves constantly being reactive rather than proactive, and it is not enough. These events are not isolated. Rather, they are part of a comprehensive strategic plan by the enemy. We as believers and the universal church must rise up and defend all people made in the Imago Dei, that is the image of God. The time is now to specifically take a stand for black people amidst the frequent and discriminatory killings that have taken place. We must all be willing to speak out and protect against evil, sin, and oppression. Let me encourage my black brothers and sisters as well as all minorities to take time to lament and to grieve and to prayerfully consider the next steps that must be taken. We have all been traumatized for years and many of us have a hard time coping with each and every event, even though they're coming back to back. As a church, we will continue to provide counseling resources that will help those that are in need of emotional support Uh, support due to racial trauma. To my white brothers and my white sisters that have been silent, we need you to lend both your voice and your privilege to help point out this evil injustice and point us in the right direction. This includes actively seeking to learn the history of African Americans beyond slavery and entering into a time of mourning and grief with black and brown people that are currently experiencing hardship across the country. Also, utilize your voice and your platforms to speak out and correct against racist, ignorant comments everywhere, whether on social media or in real life. Your silence is unacceptable and often comes across as apathetic and even if it's not your intentions. It is Martin Luther King that said in his letter from a Birmingham jail written in 1963, 57 years ago, written to white clergymen, is Martin Luther King that said this. He said, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed by the white moderate. I have also, I I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not white citizen counselors white supremacists or the Ku Klux Klan, but white moderates who are more devoted to order than to justice, who prefer a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. The change that is required needs to come through a unified church. So your voice is important. Laws that target black and brown people need to be changed on the local and federal levels And a better understanding of black history dating back to pre-slavery needs to be taught in both our churches and our schools. Today, I challenge your comfortable silence. In the next few weeks, I will host a Zoom call designed to hear the grief of our members and to create an action plan to further help streamline how we do justice here in Brooklyn. This is another step to be certain that we are making impact, not just rhetoric. We will also continue to restructure and support our Amos Social Justice Ministry led by Nina to ensure that we will be instrumental in helping us as a church do justice. If there is nothing else we can learn from the book of Esther, it is that our fight against systemic racism has to be fasted over, has to be prayed for, and it must have a step-by-step plan to protect oppressed people. 
I'm calling on all of us to get involved to push against this blatant evil. Signed, your epiphany elders. Just as a personal note, I I personally uh, have been grieved over the last few weeks and some of the grief has come from what I see uh, systemically, but also some of the grief has come from uh, not having a unified body, a unified church where our black brothers, our white brothers, uh, our Asian brothers, where we're all just coming together with different races and ethnicities, where we're all coming together to fight against injustice and fight for a people group, whether, they're, whether they have trusted in Jesus or not, a people group that are made in the image of God. So thanks for, for, for listening and thanks for lending me your time uh, as I read through that. All right, let's get into it. The book of Esther is where we are. We're in our third week on a sermon series called Interruptions, How All Things Work Together. We started this sermon, kicked it off by looking at Exodus chapter 3, and we looked at the life of Moses. Not the Moses that most of us know that uh, is before Pharaoh, but the Moses that was hiding in Midian for 40 years, and we said he was comfortable, and God had to interrupt him in order to get him on track and get him back to Egypt to do his assignment, which was to deliver all of the Hebrew people out of bondage. Last week, we looked at the book of Esther, and we did Esther part 1. Essentially, what we, what we did was we looked at Esther's life before she was queen and how God had to interrupt her in order to put her on track and put her on assignment. And this week, what we'll do is we'll look at the interruption that God calls in Esther's life now that she is queen. Again, last week, we looked at what happened before she was queen. Now she's been queen for some time, and we get to look at what it is that God wants her to do. So if you'll do me a favor, just pick me up in chapter four. You should already be in Esther, so I'm not going to waste any more time. And chapter four is where we are. Look at verse 13. If you don't have a physical copy or a Bible around you, it's going to pop up on the screen. Verse 13 says, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that because you are in the king's palace, you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and the young woman that are with me will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything that Esther ordered him to do. Simply want to preach from the topic entitled Interruptions, Esther Part 2. Would you do me a favor and just look to the Lord with me before we dig in? Uh, Father, it is Deuteronomy 8.3 that says that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So today... Would you speak to us right out of what you've already spoken in your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Esther part two. One of my favorite hip hop groups in the late 80s uh, to the mid, really mid 80s to the late 90s was a group called Public Enemy. I don't know if y'all know who they are, Chuck D, DJ Lord, and I would argue the greatest hype man of all time, Flavor Flav. Many of us know Flav for his over-the-top outfits and his props. Many of you have seen those reality uh, series that he was in where he would wear the big Viking hat. So some people only know him by that. But then there are a group of us that were born in the 80s that know him for his most famous 
prop. Y'all already know what it is. Why don't y'all just go ahead and put a clock inside the chat room. He used to wear this huge clock on his neck. There have been many speculations to why Flav wore this clock. I've heard everything from he wore the clock because back in that time, there was a fad where people used to walk around with stopwatches. I remember that time. He used to put a rope through a stopwatch and we'd walk around with a stopwatch on our neck and he wanted to take it up a notch. And so he didn't want to put a stopwatch. He put a whole clock. I've also heard Chuck D's father give the story of saying how Flav was always late. And so he wanted Flav to wear a clock to remind him that he needed to be on time. But one of the most interesting reasons I saw was in a 90s interview, and he said that the clock served a greater purpose, a more serious purpose. Here's the quote. I'd love to read it if you give me a second. Here's the reason he gave. He said, the reason why I wear the clock is because it represents time as being the most important element of our life. This, tape, this statement draws my attention. The reason it draws my attention is because it is true that time is an absolute important, important element of our life. You cannot get any time back. Time that we've wasted is just gone. In fact, Paul picks up the pen in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. He says it this way, make the best use of your time. So today we arrive at a passage where it is Queen Esther's time to shine bars. It is Queen Esther's time to do what God had called her to do. It's Queen Esther's time to actually move now in the season of why she was interrupted in chapter two. Now, context is important. Y'all know I say it all the time. Context is key. In fact, I said it last week and I asked you to put it in the chat and this week is no different. Just put in the chat. Context is key. Context is key. In fact, I need somebody to make me a t-shirt that simply says context is key. Esther is now queen now. She is queen of Persia, even though she's a Jewish Jewish young lady and her uncle uh, Mordecai wants to keep tabs on her now that she's in the palace. And so the Bible tells me that Mordecai goes down to the king's gate every single day. And the reason he goes there is because he just wants to find out how Esther is doing while she's in the palace. But there's two important things that happen at the king's gate that if you don't know what happens and transpires between Mordecai and others at the king's gate, you will miss the rest of the book. I'll argue that you won't be able to understand the story unless you understand what happened with Mordecai at the king's gate. The first thing that happens at the king's gate with Mordecai is one day he's down there and he overhears this plan, this plot to assassinate Esther's husband, King Xerxes. He goes to Esther and he tells Esther about this plan, that there's a plan, they're going to kill your husband. She then goes to King Xerxes and he investigate and come to find out that the attempted assassination is true. He hangs, the king hangs those people that were attempting to kill him and take his life. That's one thing that happens. The second thing that happens at the, at the gate is one, one day the second most powerful man is coming into the palace. If you read chapter three, this is context, so don't y'all check out on your boy. If you read chapter three, the Bible says that there's a guy named Haman. He is second in command. He is only reporting to King Xerxes. And one day he's coming in through the king's gate and he sees Mordecai and Mordecai doesn't bow. Mordecai does not pay any homage to him. And he's furious. Haman is upset. Haman Haman is angry at Mordecai, but he hates Mordecai so much that he begins to hate 
all of the Jews because of one bad experience with one of the Jews. I have no time to deal with how there are some people that hate an entire people group because of a bad experience with one person in that people group. That is exactly what's happening here. The Bible says that this man, Haman, hates the Jews and he hates the Jews because he hates Mordecai. And so he creates this plan that he's going to annihilate all of the Jews. And, and in doing so, what, what he does is he goes to King Xerxes and he bamboozles him. He makes him think that there's a people amongst the Persians that are all rebellious people and have their own laws. And so we should annihilate them. And the king agrees, not knowing that his wife is one of the Jews. So the Bible says that once Mordecai finds out about this plan to annihilate the Jews, he puts on sackcloth and ashes, goes back to the king's gate and mourns. Well, Esther, Queen Esther, finds out about her uncle being at the king's gate with sackcloth and ashes, and she finds out what's going on with him. And he tells her the plan, and he tells her that she needs to go to the king and tell the king not to do this plan, to go against this law, this decree that he has put in place. And Esther says no. Esther says, I can't do that. If I go into the king's presence without the king's permission, it's a death sentence for me. And so she tells him no. And we find ourselves now in Esther chapter four, because it is in Esther chapter four that God has to now come inter and interrupt Esther. Watch this through her uncle, uncle Mordecai. And so I really have three points today. You should write them down. They're going to pop up on the screen. I have three points and then I'm going to let you go. Three points about interruptions. Point one, when God interrupts you for greatness, don't forget where you came from. Point number two, God's timing is always impeccable. Point number three, after being aligned with God's will, maintain spiritual discipline. That's my three points, and then I'll let you go. Point one, when God interrupts you for greatness, don't forget where you came from. Consider Mordecai's response with me. Verse 13 says this. It says, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for, for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. You got to know something that's happening here. Mordecai is fed up. Esther just told him no, that she's not going to the king. And so Esther sends back a reply to Queen Esther. And he says to her, you're not going to sit up in the king's palace with access to the king and tell us no, because what you're doing is you are going to cause all of us to be annihilated simply because you are sitting comfortable in the king's palace. He is challenging her on her comfort and he's asking her, don't miss this, to speak up on behalf of a people that are oppressed and about to be annihilated. Mordecai is basically saying, listen, up under that Persian makeup, Esther, you're still a Jew. Up under that Mac makeup and up under that Fenty makeup, you are still one of us. And so he's calling her out on her comfort. Why is he calling her out on that? Because she's assimilated to majority culture, which is Persian life. You got to see how assimilated she is to it. In fact, if you go back to chapter three, verse number seven, it literally says that it's King Xerxes 12th year. Let, let's just stay with me. Do the math. If you hung out with us last week, you'll know that Queen Esther came into the palace on the third year. 
Okay, so it's the third year that she comes in. She spends four years preparing. That means she's queen now for five years. She's been in the Persian palace for nine years. Nine years of being assimilated there. Plus her name is Esther, which is a Persian name. Her original Hebrew name actually is Hadassah, which is a, which a chapter two gives me. So basically Mordecai comes to her and says, listen, you've been in this palace for nine years. I know you think you're a Persian. I know you look like a Persian. I know you got Persian perks and you got Persian privilege. And we need you to give us a little bit of that Persian privilege. We, we need you to lend us some of the access you have because you're now in a space that we're not in. This feels a lot like what's happening here in America where we see an oppressed people and what I'm calling for and what I've been asking for and what that statement suggests that I read at the top of the sermon is that we need those are our white brothers and sisters that have white privilege. That's not a net. I'm just telling you, that's a thing. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to hurt nobody's feelings, but white privilege is a thing. And what we need is some white privilege to speak up on behalf of oppressed people. Some, some, some white privilege to speak up on our behalf. Well, what we need is we, we need you to go to your local officials and ask them, what is your plan for over-policing in black and brown neighborhoods? Well, what is your stance on the inhumane injustice of seeing a black man die on the streets with a white man's knee in his neck? What is your plan to address that? We, we need you to challenge your white brothers and your white sisters on their pro-life positions. Now, don't get me wrong. I am pro-life, but I'm not just pro-life from the womb. I'm pro-life all the way to the tomb. Somebody type that in the chat room for me. I am pro-life from the womb to the tomb. And so when I see uh, God's people and when I see God's creation being treated unjustly, it goes against my pro-life belief. He says, listen, you in that Persian palace, we actually need you to go to the king and speak up on behalf of a people. And he says, you're our only hope. If you don't speak up, if you don't talk, if you don't go to the king, we're all going to be annihilated. Oh, oh, but just in case you forget, boo-boo, you're going to be annihilated too. Why? Because you are a Jew as well. And so he, he challenges her on her comfort. And I challenge all of those who have white privilege, I challenge you today on your comfort, if you're comfortable. Let me not, let me not get this twisted. There are some that are not comfortable with the way things are, and they are speaking out, and they are putting action plans in place, and they are supporting their black brothers and their black sisters, and kudos to you, shout out to you, but if you remain silent, you should get the same challenge today that Mordecai is going to be giving to Esther. Here's also my encouragement for some of you. Never forget when God opens the door for you, when God interrupts your life for greatness, don't forget where you came from. Some of us have been invested in by the hood. You've gone to schools in, in hard neighborhoods. And for some reason, we think, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but we think growing up that if I make enough money, if I can just get out of the hood and get into the suburbs and get a house somewhere else, we think we've arrived and we've made. And I actually want to challenge that thinking today. What, what if we did the opposite? What if we looked at the city renewal in hard inner city urban areas and we looked at the school districts and we looked at the crime rate and we looked at the local businesses and instead of taking our entrepreneurial genius skills somewhere else, what if you stayed in the hood and sought city renewal? Well, what I'm asking you to do is don't forget 
where you came from. I love Mordecai because Mordecai essentially is challenging Esther today. Even though Esther's the queen, he's challenging her today. And I also love that about Mordecai, that Mordecai acts as a mentor in Esther's life. Shout out to all of you who are submitted that are teachable and submitting to people through mentorship. I I love the sage wisdom of the older saints, the the ones that have worked through some stuff and gone through some things and are able to teach us young people, teach us. And I put myself in that category today of young people. I'm grateful for all of you who are mentors. Shoot, I pray for that in our church. I pray that we would be a church not just full of young people. I'm grateful for our church's youth and millennials and, and, and professionals. I'm grateful, but what we need is some sage wisdom. We need some salt and pepper. Can y'all just type that in? We need some salt and pepper. Why? Because we need more Mordecai's. We, know, we need more people to call us out on our stuff. In, in other words, the longer you go through life and do a specific thing, the more blind you become to the thing that you're doing. There could be dysfunction in how we are operating. And the way my pastor will say it is, it's functional dysfunction. That there are some things that we're doing that we need somebody with sage wisdom to come and say, listen, disrupt that, fix that, do that differently, and tell us in a way that we're not offended. We get too offended. And so Mordecai acts right here as more of a mentor for Queen Esther. Point one, when God interrupts you for greatness, don't forget where you came from. Point two, when uh, God's timing is always impeccable. Let me just say that one more time. God's timing is always impeccable. Look at verse 14. There's something amazing that happens in verse 14. Don't miss it. It says here, For if you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will arise uh, for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom, underline this phrase, for such a time as this. He says, Esther, what if God puts you in place for a time such as this? What if God now has you in position and title and privilege For a time like this, what if God gave you that platform for a time such as this? In other words, he says, Queen Esther, God's timing is always impeccable. God, the way God works things out over time, it's actually called a theological term for it is providence. What if God's providence, what if he, you know, what God often does and what God often does is he sits in heaven and he's playing chess. In other words, he's strategically moving stuff into place. What if God is strategically setting things up for you, Queen Esther? In fact, I'd love for you to see how impeccable God's timing is. If you'll allow me a second, I'd love to just kind of do the wobble and the electric slide through the 10 chapters of the book of Esther. Check out God's timing and how God takes all of these pieces and all of these parts of the story and he brings them together. Chapter one, Vashti is queen. She refuses the king. The Bible says that after she refuses the king, that he replaces her and he gets 
Queen Esther. Queen Esther is now queen. She prepares for four years. The Bible says that Mordecai wants to know what's going on in the palace. So he goes down to the king's gate, overhears the plan, the, the plot to kill King Xerxes. And he tells, uh, he tells Esther and then Esther tells the king and then he hangs them. And, and you, you, you would think that that's the end of the story, but that's not the end of the story. Uh, you then find out that uh, it is Haman that hates Mordecai and hates the Jews, creates this plan to annihilate all the Jews. Don't check out. I'm just going through the whole book, a plan to annihilate all of the Jews. And the Bible says that Esther finds out from Mordecai about this very plan. What's interesting is not only does Haman hate the Jews, but he goes home one night and he builds gallows because he wants to hang Mordecai. But the same night that he's building a gallow, the, the God of the universe keeps King Xerxes up. He has a restless night and he's not able to sleep. And so he calls his servants and he asks his servants, would y'all just start to read a book to me? There, there's nothing that will put you to sleep quicker than a book. He says, just start reading a book to me. And they're reading this one specific book. And the interesting thing about this book is this book records all of the events from the day. And as they're reading, one of the events that comes up before the king is Mordecai finding out about the plot. Stay with me. King Xerxes the next day calls Haman and he says, Haman, what should the king do for the person he delights in? Haman thinks he's talking about him. He says, shoot, you put a royal robe on him and you parade him around the city. And the king says, that's a great idea. Mordecai saved my life. Go do that for him. Put a royal robe on him and you lead the march and march him around the city. Of course, Haman is upset because Haman is now leading a parade for a person that he hates. When Haman gets back, it is Esther that reveals the plan to the king that Haman is about to annihilate all of us. And then she goes so far as to say, boo-boo, I know you don't know this and you, you've been married to me for some time, but I'm actually a Jew as well. So the king is furious and he takes Haman and he puts him on the same gallows that he built to hang Mordecai. If you look at the end of the story, the Bible says that the Jews were able to defend themselves and because they're able to defend themselves, they are not annihilated. Please notice how God took all of these pieces throughout the story of Esther and built them in to make a perfect plan, a per like the perfect time. God is impeccable with his time. God is impeccable with how he lays things out, which is why I'm not nervous about COVID-19, which is why I'm not nervous about race issues. I have hope because I know that there is a God that is in heaven that is not surprised, that is not confused. He's fully in control by his sovereign will. He's working things out. God is impeccable with his time. Here's my question. If God is impeccable with his time, how are you and I doing with our time? If God is so strategic in how he uses time, why are many of us, and I'm gonna put myself on, the, on, 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 uh, on block with you guys, on this chopping block with you guys, I too am frivolous with my time. I asked Gabe to, to help me out to try to illustrate this point because God's timing is always impeccable. Oftentimes our timing is not impeccable. Y'all give Gabe some love. Say, say hi, wave to the people, Gabe. Uh, love Gabe. So what we're going to do is we're, we're going to work through what time in a week looks like for us. Because I really believe that if we visually see the time that God has gifted us, we would deal differently with our time. God gives us in one week 168 hours. 
God gives us 168 hours. Now, here's the thing. There are some points of those hours that there's some parts of that hour, the, the hours that we can't do anything about. There is nothing that we can do about some of these hours. For, for example, there are some moments where God makes you sleep. I know some of y'all can, y'all be running on E, but the average person is supposed to sleep somewhere between seven to nine hours. Would you do me a favor? Just type in the chat room. How many hours do you sleep? I'll give you a second. How many hours do you just like rest and sleep? How, what, are you, what are you living off of right now? Three hours, four hours, five hours? God gives us hours to sleep and our human bodies actually need eight hours of sleep. So seven days a week, you should be sleeping at least eight hours every night. I'm going to just give you all the hours. If y'all ain't sleeping eight hours, uh, you should be. But God has given us eight hours, seven days a week to sleep. Check this out. That's Monday. That's Tuesday. That's Wednesday. That's Thursday. Here's Friday. Here's Saturday. Here's Sunday. This is the block of time that you can't do anything about. Would you come just a little closer? Because I, I, I want you to zoom in on the sleep time. That is the time that we can't do anything about. I actually come close because I want to actually put this on the camera so you can't see anymore. This is the amount of time that you get to sleep. And here it is. If you add that up, that's 56 hours. 56 hours, you are unconscious and have no time. Now, there, there's another block of time. And that's work time. Now, I'm not saying everybody has a job, but I am saying that everybody should be working. Either you are working or you should be looking for a job because God has created us before the fall. God created us to work. Adam, get into the garden and tend and till the land. That's work. That, that's not a consequence of the fall. That's actually good responsibility. And so many of us work eight-hour days. Okay, so let, let, let's just do Monday. Let's do Monday to Friday. Let's just say that's your work week. I know some of y'all here in New York, y'all are working ridiculous hours. You're working seven days a week, and I rebuke that. We should be working responsibly with our time. And so let's just say that we work eight-hour days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Here's Thursday, and here's Friday. Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. But we actually have to prepare for work. We have to get up. We have to take a shower. We have to brush our teeth. We have to get ready. We have to mouthwash and we have to commute. So we have to get to some of y'all work in the city. So we got to take the train all the way to the city. And so I have to tack on another eight hours, not for your work, but for your commute time and your time of preparation. Here we are. I, let me make sure I got this math right. Cause I'm not always, uh, like I said last week, I'm not a mathematician. So I want to make sure I got it right here. Here we are eight times six. 48. I figured it was going to be 40. I just wanted to back myself up on it. 48 hours is what we have. Watch this in work and commute time. But I have to tack on some more hours because let's be honest, y'all know we on social media, right? So many of us are on social media. So you spending at least eight hours a day on Facebook, on Instagram. Oh, oh, wait, there's TikTok. Some of y'all are on TikTok. And so y'all sitting on TikTok doing your thing. What, what's the new dances? I know it's Renegade. I don't know if we, let me, what's Savage dance. So we on TikTok. We doing the savage dance. When we on Facebook. Oh, Versus is coming up. Y'all better check it out uh, today as well. Uh, we got Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond. But we're on Versus. We're always watch. We're always on social media. But we spend 16 hours of our life, of our time on a week on social media. Okay, here's the rest of the time. This category over here is leftover time. This is where your passions are. This is what you're serious about. 
Some of you that work a full-time job, you, you are trying to be an entrepreneur. So you're, you're spending time developing business plans and prospectus. And some of you are serving in different capacities and you're serving in the church. And so you have over here another 48 hours that's your time. And that's my, that this, is my, this is my drive right here. This is the time I want us not to be frivolous. No, I do not want us frivolous at work. There's nothing you can do about sleep. But what about the 48 hours that God gave you this week? What are you doing with that time? God is impeccable with his time. God is spot on with his time. But many of us are negligent. We're frivolous with this time. So I, I basically, I'm calling all of us to think of time differently. Some of us do need to walk around with a huge clock on our neck. We, we need to walk around like favor flave with a clock on their neck so it can remind us how important our time is. God is impeccable. Point number two was God's timing is always impeccable. Let me go back to point one. Point one was when God interrupts you for greatness, don't forget where you came from. Point number three, and then we'll end here. I won't spend as much time on this because I'm running out of time. After being aligned with God's will, don't lose spiritual discipline. Notice in verse 15, the Bible says, I hope y'all still tracking with me, man. I'm reading the comments too, man. I hope y'all are tracking along here in the scripture. Verse 15 says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go and gather all of the Jews and be found in Susa. Hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink. He says, three days, three nights. He says, she says she's going to do it with the same thing with the young women. The Bible says that Mordecai went away and did as Esther told him. What she's exercising here is a spiritual discipline called fasting. And many of us have lost that spiritual discipline. Can we be honest? Fasting ain't easy. Fasting is hard because essentially what you're doing is you're denying your flesh for a better connection with God. Fasting does not change. God, fasting doesn't get God on your page. Fasting gets you on God's page. And sometimes that's hard, which is why I love corporate fast, which is why I love fasting with people, which is why I love to make sure that there is accountability when it comes to fasting. Here's what Esther says. She says, me and my girls, we're we going to fast. Mordecai, I need all of y'all to fast because I realize what we need God to do, we need to make sure that we are aligned. You, you know, some interesting facts about the book of Esther. Number one, here's the first interesting fact about this book is that this is one of two of the only books. There are only two books in the Bible that are named after a female. Hey, here you have Esther is one of them. The other one is, you should know it, it's Ruth. And so that's one interesting fact. Here's the second interesting fact. I asked you last week to read through all 10 chapters. And when you read through all 10 chapters, did you notice that God's name is not mentioned, not even one time in the book? There is, there, there is no moment where, where God is mentioned and we could walk away and say God's presence in the book. But the fact that chapter four tells me she's fasting lets me know that God's presence isn't only in the book. It's smeared all over all of the events because Esther realizes even though she's queen, even though she has access to the king, that there are some things that can only happen when God intervenes and when God steps in. And can anybody attest to that? That there are only some things, there are some things that I went through in my life that the only way out of it was God. There, there are some things in my life where the only way, the only way I could get through it was God. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but his presence is 100% there. Some of you this week need to do a fast. 
all of the stuff that is going on in our country, all of the undivided, the, 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 we're so divided on race issues, even in the church, I would say more in the church. We need to fast. We need to pray. We need to put action. We need to put strategic plans. We need to make sure we're supporting. And, and that only comes through understanding biblical insight, spiritual insight that only God can give through fasting and praying. Who needs to be interrupted this week? Who needs to be interrupted? Who, who, who is the person that I'm talking to that God has been tapping you on the shoulder since we started this sermon series on interruption? Who is that person? Well, here's the thing. Last week we said you need to go prepare, right? Last week we talked about how we need to get off of our comfort. The same thing this week. I'll say that many of us this week need to understand that when God interrupts us, we got to make sure we don't forget where we came from. So, so some of us this week need to make sure that the spiritual discipline of fasting is in place. Some of us this week need to make sure that we are serious about the things that God is calling us to. There are some things that God has put on your plate that many of us have neglected. And we neglect it because we're often looking for the neck. When I get out of COVID-19, I'm going to do this thing. But what about now? The interruption could be now. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the person that God is knocking at the door of your heart, but you were missing it. You're not paying attention. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you, oh God, for every single person that's piped onto this live. I am grateful, Lord. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Epiphany Church. I'm grateful for the people that make up this church. And Lord, I pray a blessing over them as they consider God's interruption. Father, you are so impeccable with your time and oftentimes we're not. Father, would you convict us this week? Would you cause us to look at our phone and look at that in the settings, look at the amount of time that we spent on our phone and may it bring conviction to us. That's time we could be productive somewhere else. That's time we could be praying. That's time we could be reading our word. That's time we could be fasting. That's time we could be putting plans together to make sure that we are doing justice. Father, would you give us a little bit of peace today? Father, I also want to pray for all of the events in our country. I do pray for a unified church. I pray for a church that stands together on such hard issues. I pray for a church that is not afraid of the tension, not afraid of the conversations, not afraid to do justice. Father, would you give us that so that we can be unified so the world can see what it looks like for all of us to come together to fight against systemic racism and inhumane injustice. So Father, I thank you, O oh God, for this time. Would you bless everybody that tapped into this live for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, man, it was good hanging out with y'all like every week. Again, I'm a little heavy today, grieved at my heart, but I, I genuinely, I, I'm optimistic and I have hope that God is going to redeem all things and, and, and how he does that. I, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I, don't, I don't fully understand yet, but I do believe he's in heaven playing chess and strategically moving all things in place. Let me give this blessing to you. It's found in Numbers chapter six. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May you have peace this week. Grace and peace.